This morning's scripture reading will be from the book of Matthew, be uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make there three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Appreciate you being here. Especially if you're visiting with us, we're thankful that... uh, Art came our way and is uh, leading singing for us this morning. He always does a wonderful job. Matthew's recording of the event just read for us is one of the most telling passages, I believe, in the Bible. I think it is so because it gives us a small glimpse into eternity. It gives us just a small glimpse into heaven. And I think to appreciate it more and maybe to uh, learn some things that perhaps we may have overlooked in the past, I think it is always appropriate and helpful to, to look at the context in which something is stated. When we turn back a few pages and we look in chapter 16 of Matthew, we learn that Jesus was explaining to His disciples how He was on His way to Jerusalem to give Himself for the world because that was the only way in which the world would be able to have access to eternal life, Matthew 16, 21. Of course, Peter took exception to that. Matthew records for us that the apostle began to rebuke Jesus, Matthew 16, 22. He told him that that wasn't going to happen, that he wouldn't stand for that to happen. In essence, was the statement that he was making. And because of that attitude, because of his misunderstanding and and his ignorance of God's eternal plan, Jesus told him that he savored the things of man, the things of this world, instead of the things of God. Uh, Matthew sixteen twenty three. And then he told them how that following his return back to heaven, where he is at the present, his ascension back to the right hand of the Father, that he would come again, that there would be a second advent of his coming and that when He came at that time, He would gather together the people who had lived for Him and He would bring with Him the angels of heaven and He would reward every man according to His works, Matthew 16, 27. Of course, then having been told of God's eternal plan, these three men, Peter, James, and John, found themselves walking to the top of this mountain where Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Now those three men 
were allowed to experience just a little bit of what the faithful will be seeing for all eternity. The true nature of our God. And I don't think it was anything they ever forgot. I think it was with them till the very day of their death. John later wrote, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among men. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 He was talking about that transfiguration. Before that, Peter had written and reminded his readers, 2 Peter 1.16-18, he said, For we have not followed cunning, cunningly devised fables. He said, We're not following after some kind of a myth. He said, When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He's talking about that transfiguration. For He received from God the glory, or from the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, that's the background to what happened. This going up onto the mountain, the explanation of the eternal purpose of God that was seen in Jesus Christ to these men. And then the very first verse of chapter 17 begins with the word and, which means that it is connected in some way to chapter 16, those things that had previously been stated. Of course, it's connected in many ways. It's connected by Jesus' appearance and how we'll see Him in eternity when He returns. It is connected by the fact that He will return and judge the world by the authority of God. It is connected by that. But it is also connected by an overlooked statement, or at least a statement that I've often overlooked, made by Peter. Peter made a statement after the glory of the transfiguration. He said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Now normally... That proclamation is quoted right before Peter makes that suggestion. Hey, let's, let's build three memorials, three tents, three tabernacles and honor these three great men. But I want us to look at it in a different way this morning. I don't want us to focus on necessarily the misstatement of Peter. We'll notice that. And he didn't fully understand exactly what was going on at that moment, but he had enough within him to understand he was in a good place. It was good to be on that mountain with Christ, with His brethren, and with those two wonderful people from the Old Testament. I've entitled this morning's sermon, We Are in a Good Place When... And we're going to look at it from maybe Peter's perspective. As we travel life's paths, we're going to find ourselves in all sorts of positions, aren't we? We're going to find ourselves in all kinds of places. We're going to find ourselves in places that are, are just okay. We're going to find ourselves in places that are definitely not okay. But from time to time, we will find ourselves in places that are so grand and so great that it is difficult for us to even comprehend what is going on around us. I think that is exactly what happened to Peter. 
I think he did not properly comprehend exactly what was happening. He was so impressed with the events that were unfolding before his eyes that he spoke before he should have spoken. But he still understood that he was in a good place. There's going to be times when we walk the mountaintops and at other times we'll trudge right through the valleys. But even when we trudge through the valleys, it might be that that too is a good place. Like so many who come before us, we can know we are in a good place when we can see the glory of Jesus. And that's our first point. We learn from this account that Jesus will bless His special people. He's going to bless His special people. And it is apparent that these three men, this trio of followers, held a very special place in the heart of Jesus. That they had a relationship with Him that transcended the relationships that He had with other people. He selected them to have a special place. And this wasn't the only time He had chosen these men, was it? He had chosen them on other occasions when it was just Himself and those three men. You recall when He raised the daughter of Jairus, Matthew 5, 37 through 42. It was those three men who were honored to witness that. Do you recall when He went on just a little further into the garden to pray prior to His uh, crucifixion? Who accompanied Him? It was these three men, Peter, James, and John, Mark 14. While God is obviously no respecter of persons, uh, Paul says that in Romans 2 verse 11, he did have a special relationship with these men, and God today has special relationships with an elect group of people. We learn that through this account. Now that isn't to say that he loves people more than other people but he has special relationships with an elect group of people. Why? Well, because some people are more responsive to his love than others. That's why the special relationship is there. Perhaps these three men, in a physical way, in a worldly way, in a a human way, responded a little differently to Christ's love than, than perhaps the other apostles did. Christ didn't love them more but he had a special brotherly love for them that transcended others. The reality of life is we are as close to God as we want to be. God doesn't move. He doesn't leave. But we adjust ourselves from time to time. James declared this, James 4 verse 8. He said, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded Many do not want to get close to God. That's the problem. God would have a special relationship for any who would want that relationship if they would simply do it. If we're going to see the glory of God, we have to be His special people. I don't believe it is coincidental when Peter said Christians were a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, he said a holy nation, his own special people. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. If we accept his commandments, we too can be his special people. It's there for the taking. 
we can be His special people. We can witness the glory of God if we do what He asked us to do. Now, we're not going to see it like Peter, James, and John did. Not in this life. But we can see it through the eye of faith and we can long to see it in the next life. Of course, our goal ought to be to evermore becoming more and more like Jesus. To be more and more His special people. You remember when He instituted the Lord's Supper in John 13? How close He was, even just physically speaking, to John, the beloved apostle, the apostle of love. He was leaning back on Jesus' breast, wasn't He? They were reclining on the, on the sofas, uh, kind of what they were. And they were eating uh, the Passover and John leaned back on the breast of Jesus because he was in close proximity. He was special to the man. And because of that, he learned some things that night that none of the other apostles learned. He learned who was going to mistreat the Lord, who would turn him over to the authorities. He learned that, didn't he? We have to choose, though, to be his special people. But here's the thing. We can see the glory of God if we are His special people. And when we become His special people, we will be in a special place. And that's a good thing, isn't it? We know we are in a good place when we see the glory of God, when we're His special people and when we're in a special place. After the transfiguration, Peter uh, wanted to erect... Three monuments, recognizing Jesus and two of God's greatest servants. It truly was a good place to be. It appears so much so that Peter didn't want to leave immediately. He saw what was going on and instead of just sitting there and watching and then after it was over following the Lord down off of the mountain, he wanted to spend some more time in that special place and he wanted to erect these monuments He recognized how special it was. But the thing is, when they came down off of that mountain, they walked right down into the valley below them, and they again were faced with the realities of this life, and it was staring right back at them in the eyes. It was a special place where he was up on the mountain. But then he came back into life and reality, and he saw the demonic possessions of those who were followers of Satan who had possessed the bodies of innocent people. They had to go about paying their taxes. They had to worry about the day when Christ would leave them and they would be in their minds, I'm sure, feeling abandoned and left alone. How could they remain in a special place with all of that happening around them? They were God's special people. They were at least for a while up on that mountain in a very special place. But did it stop there? No, that mountaintop experience is what helped carry them through the valley. We're going to be in valleys from time to time. But we can be in a special place with God because the highs will carry us through the lows. And that holds true for us today. Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, For I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He said, not that I'm not in need of certain things and I wish I could have those supplied for me, even though 
I know how to be content. Why? He was a special person in a special place because he recognized the glory of God. But only God's people can be in a special place. We have to understand that. What the world refuses to acknowledge is that Jesus has a very specific plan for becoming His people. They don't want to recognize that. We have to have a strong faith and a belief in Him. Paul said, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. But he didn't stop there. He added something to that. While he was speaking on Mars Hill, he he told those people, he said, and God has commanded all men everywhere now to repent. We must repent, have that belief. Continuing his thought to the Roman brethren, he said, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So now I find myself at the very precipice of being a special person in a special place, and I'm about to witness the glory of God. And then finally we gain salvation in the exact same way that Saul of Tarsus before he became the apostle, gained salvation. We follow the commandment to arise and be baptized, washing away our sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts twenty-two sixteen, And then remaining in that very special place by living faithfully for God until our time in this world is over, Matthew ten twenty-two. You see, we are in a very special place. It is, is good when we see the glory of God. We know we're in a good place. It's good when we see the glory of God. But it is also a good place when we exalt the greatness of Jesus. That's our second point. As we watch the account of the transfiguration unfold and those men had followed our Lord up to the the mountaintop and, and He was transfigured before them, Two heavenly visitors showed up and they began to commune with him. The great lawgiver Moses and the great prophet Elijah. They began to speak with him and talk with him about those things that were about to happen in his life. Moses had been dead for 1,500 years. And Elijah, he had gone on to his reward more than 900 years before that day happened. Yet, there they were communing with their Savior. We learn so much from this passage. Without Christ, Moses and Elijah would have never been able to enjoy the reward of heaven. We're going to know each other too in heaven, aren't we? We're going to be able to recognize one another. Peter, James, and John recognized these two visitors who were communing with their Savior. When the physical body dies, there's so much more to us. The wise man said that once we die, our spirits will return back to God who gave them and He'll keep them in a safe place until they're called upon again. One day we're going to be reunited with those loved ones of ours who were faithful when they left this life. If we are found faithful in the end, and why would we want to miss out on that? We don't want to. But have you ever wondered why these two particular men were chosen to visit our Savior? on the mountain. Luke said they were discussing his uh, coming death. The King James Version says his decease. His decease, that word means exodus. That's all that word means. They were talking about his exodus 
from this physical life. They were comforting the man. He was a man after all, wasn't he? 100% man, 100% God, and the man part of him was not looking forward to going to the cross, and they were comforting him. In life, both those men pointed toward Jesus. They pointed, their work was to usher in what would happen in his life. Moses recorded Deuteronomy 18, 18. He recorded God's prophecy saying, I will raise up a prophet from among their brethren like unto you, Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. See, Moses pointed to him. The bottom line is, these two men, they understood they were there to exalt the greatness of Jesus. We know we're in a good place when we exalt the greatness of Jesus. They wanted to comfort Him as the world's greatest gift. And that's what they did. But the two heavenly visitors that were there with our Lord, but gave way to a heavenly voice. From out of the clouds, a voice rang out, just as Peter was suggesting that these monuments be established, be erected. I believe one account says as the, the words were still on his tongue, and we hear this statement from this voice saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Matthew 17, 5. Well, what was the problem? Well, it's apparent that Peter was placing those two men on the same plane as Jesus. We can't do that. Was Moses a great man? Absolutely. One of the greatest. Was Elijah a great man? Absolutely. One of the greatest, but just men among many men who were great followers of God. Jesus transcends that. He is great in fact, He is the greatest, isn't He? We can't place anyone on His level. We can't bring Him down because that's what we're doing. We're not elevating someone. We're just bringing Him down. And Peter had to understand that. I don't think he did that intentionally, but I think he was overwhelmed by the situation. But the Father reminded them, Jesus is greater. He's my Son, my only begotten Son. You'll listen to Him. He was greater than Moses and the law, and He was greater than Elijah and the prophets. They couldn't compare. And He was the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets, right? We remember the writer of Hebrews reminding his readers, saying, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, in various ways He spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. But he goes on to say, Hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son. So we don't listen to the prophets anymore. We don't go to the prophets to gain our direction in life. Do the prophets point to Jesus? Yes. Is it beneficial to study the prophets? Yes. Do we learn things? Yes. Why do we have it? For our learning. But who do we listen to? We listen to the Son. He guides us. Even when we walk through the valleys of life, if we exalt the greatness of Jesus we are in a good place. I think that's why it's so important to assemble with the saints. We're coming together with those of like precious faith, Peter said. And we don't do it because it's a burden. We do it because it'll lift burdens. 
We come together and encourage and edify one another. That's what the writer of Hebrews talked about, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. We're in a good place when we are with God's faithful. Why? We recognize the glory of Jesus and we exalt His greatness. That's why it's a good place. But it's a good place. Because when we do those things and we do them properly, we can experience the grace of God. That's our third point. As the voice spoke, Peter, James, and John fell to the ground, prostrate before Jesus, their faces toward the, toward the ground, and they were fearful. I imagine they were terrified. And what happened? I believe the same thing that had happened on more than one occasion, as was His custom. Jesus walked over to those terrified men. He extended His hand in the grace of peace. He said, don't be afraid, Matthew 17, 7. We're in a good place when we're able to touch the Master. When we can come into contact with His grace of peace. When we hide the Word of God in our hearts. Just like David said we were to do, Psalm 119, 11. We are touched by Jesus. Think about that. When we care for our brethren in times of pain and anguish, we are feeling the touch of Jesus, His grace of peace. When we are discouraged and those who love us come to our aid, we are being touched by the peace of Jesus. Now Satan has a wonderful arsenal at his disposal and he takes advantage of it. And he wants to discourage, he wants to get rid of this peace that we find when we understand and are subject to God's grace. There's a tale told about Satan putting up his tools for sale and on the particular day of the sale he, he had placed all of his tools for public inspection, each being marked with its sale price. And of course, all that was there were the, the regular tools of hatred, Envy, jealousy, doubt, lying, pridefulness. And there was one tool kind of laid off to the side and it was well worn out and it had an extremely high price on it. And one of the buyers came by and he said, Well, what's that tool? And why is it priced so high? Well, he said, That's my tool of discouragement. And I've priced it so high because it's more useful to me than any of the other tools that I have. He said, I can pry open and get into the very hearts of people with discouragement when I can't get to them with any other tool. He said, now once I get inside, I can make him do whatever I want him to. It's badly worn because I use it every single time. Almost on everyone. Since few people even know it belongs to me. The devil's price for, for discouragement was so high that he never sold it. And He wields it today. But see, when we understand and we are subject to the grace of God and we have the peace that passes the understanding of this world, then we can avoid discouragement or at least we can see through it to the other side. When we're in a place where we have God's peace, it's a good place. But not only were the friends of Jesus in a place where God's grace extended to them peace, they were in His very presence, right? 
We have to be in the very presence of God to access His grace. When they looked up, they only saw Jesus. No more Moses, no more Elijah. And on at least some level, I think they began to understand that Jesus was the source of of salvation. I think academically they knew that, but there was so much they weren't understanding. When we're on the highs of the mountains, we will end up in the valleys. And as we endure the valleys, we can always count on being in the presence of Jesus if we are His people. Regardless of what else changes, Jesus will never change. And He said He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13 verse 5. If we live with Him, He will always be by our side. He promised that prior to His ascension back to the Father. He said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Matthew 28, 20. He's not going to change that. We can be in His presence. When we think of Paul and we think of the the sad times that he endured, the discouragement that he had to look through to get to the other side, he says, Not a man stood with me, but Jesus was always with me. And He strengthened me. 2 Timothy 4, 16-17. He's not going to leave. If we enter His presence, now we can leave, but He won't. We know we're in a good place when we experience the grace of His presence. Peter, the beloved friend of Jesus, missed a few things in this life, didn't he? As he was walking the paths of this life, he didn't understand a lot of things. He, he didn't see a lot of things properly, but he understood this one thing, even this early in his life, as his walk with Christ. He was in a good place. When you're on the mountain with Jesus, and you see His glory, you recognize His greatness, and you have access to His grace, boy, that is a good place. But that's not the question, is it? The question is, am I in a good place today? I can be. If I obey the gospel the way in which we spoke, the things that are laid out for us in the Bible, not not the plan of some person, but the plan of God. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water for the very purpose of washing away my sins in faithful living. That's a good place. Sometimes we leave good places, don't we? Have you ever been on vacation and boy, you just hated to leave because it was a good place, right? Well, we can leave the good place we are with Jesus. We can go back into the world, but He can always accept us back if we'll repent of those sins, confess where we've done wrong, whether publicly or privately, and then again, we can be in a good place. We need to ask ourselves this morning, am I in a good place? And if I'm not, no reason to stay there. Let that be known if you want to answer this Lord's invitation at this time as we stand and as we sing.